Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Would you go ahead and stand for the reading of the word? But yes, we love Kingdom Builders. It's our chance to give an above, the, uh, above and beyond the tithe and bless our community. We are in Revelations 12, 1 through 12. This is such a beautiful verse. I hope I don't butcher it. Are you guys ready for this? All right. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives enough to shrink back from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, would you join me in prayer right now, Lord? We uh, are thankful again for your word that speaks to us in so many profound ways. It's so alive. I pray that we come alive again today, Lord. I pray that you would open our eyes to see you, to see what's going on, even in the spiritual realm, Lord, is that crazy story back in the Old Testament where Elisha prayed for his friend's eyes to be open to see what was going on in the spiritual realm. Well, what happened to us today, I pray, that we may be more aware, have a greater awareness that there is a spiritual realm all around us that is impacting our life. Lord, open our eyes to see that, give us divine wisdom and understanding, Lord, not worldly wisdom, but heavenly, eternal wisdom, I pray, to see that today, Lord, that uh, we may uh, experience you in new and profound ways. Well, that's my prayer for every single one of us here today. 
And my other prayer, Lord, is that you would help the Seattle Mariners start winning again, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Amy forgot to mention, if you don't have anywhere to go today for Mother's Day, we're going to go to Blaze Pizza down the road here. If you're, you're, you're welcome to join our family for Mother's Day, if you'd like, after this service. Let us know. That'd be great. So I talk a lot about sports, so a lot of people don't know this about me. I'm actually kind of a closet sci-fi nerd. I love sci-fi movies. I'm a Trekkie, Star Wars. Anything alien to me is cool. I enjoy those stuff. Okay, so I think the greatest sci-fi movie that's come out in recent years is this movie called Interstellar. Have you seen this movie? Phenomenal movie. Great storyline. Highly uh, creative and uh, just some cool twists. And if you've never seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you right now. You've had plenty of years to watch it, but I won't completely spoil it, but kind of spoil it. There's this moment in the movie where the main character finds himself in this, this black abyss, essentially like a black hole, and he comes to this, this, like this window, and he's, he's peering in, and he sees his home from the past, and he sees his daughter in her bedroom, and then he goes over to this spot, and he sees, again, the, the bedroom and the daughter, and it's another moment in time, and he goes over here, and he sees another moment in time, and he's like seeing all these different moments in time within a matter of seconds. And I mention that because I, I get the, the impression that Revelation is so much like that. Revelation is not like a linear, like this happens and this happens and this happens. It's like John is seeing something here, then he's seeing something here, and he's seeing something here. And it may not be necessarily in order. So it's not about what happens next, it's just what he sees next. And so it's kind of like interstellar in, in that regards. And so as we go into Revelation chapter 12, you kind of see the same thing again. It's not about linear stuff, but like John sees this and sees this and explains this. And so again, we're trying to piece all of this together, and it's not necessarily in linear fashion. I love this guy. Uh, Jack Hayford, he was an amazing pastor and scholar, super smart dude. And he said this, he says, the book of Revelation becomes distorted when a linear approach is taken. It's easy to become confused with this approach because the book of Revelation is not written in a linear fashion. It is a series of prophecies that are seen from different viewpoints. I think there's a lot of truth to that when you dive into Revelation. So we're in chapter 12. We're having just this fun journey here as we go through Revelation. And I think we're going to go just one more week in Revelation before we hit the pause button. And season three will be in the fall. So just one more. We're going to Revelation 13, I believe, next week. And uh, we're going to have some fun with that too. But today's going to be good. As we, we dive into Revelation 12, here's what we see. There is some things that we're trying to understand again, but there very clearly is a spiritual war that is shown. That's what we see. You and I are in a battle. There's a battle for our soul in this unseen realm called the spiritual realm that is very, very real. Now, what's interesting is science now has root, like physics has proven there's different dimensions out there. There's like multi-dimensions out there. And it makes sense because that's, there's a spiritual realm out there. So it kind of lines up with what God has already put together. And don't forget, this physical realm that we see only exists because God spoke from his realm, this realm, and us into existence. Got that? Okay, so I want to make sure we're all here and listening. Here's what we're talking about today. Because there's a spiritual realm, we need a spiritual battle plan. We need a spiritual battle plan for the spiritual war that we are in. Every single one of us. Where we, whether we realize it or not, there's a spiritual battle going on for our soul. So John sees a couple of signs here. We see a woman 
And we see a red dragon here in Revelation 12. So who is this woman? This woman really is God's people, God's chosen people, his faithful people. It represents the Jewish people, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. It even represents the church today, all his believers today throughout history. That's what this, who this woman represents. It's his faithful believers. It even can literally represent the woman Mary who gave birth to Jesus, as we see the birth is mentioned there uh, in, in this passage. And what's interesting is you know, the sun and the moon and the stars reference is a direct reference to Gen- uh, Genesis chapter 37, the dream that Joseph has about his brothers, the other 11 tribes of Israel, bowing down to worship him. So what's in, we're going to see this a couple times in, in chapter 12 here, that there are some amazing similarities and connections between the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, God has a story, a message he wants to communicate to us. And so we see the woman here. We see the, the red dragon. Who is the red dragon? Uh, some might say, well, it's obviously China, right? It's the red dragon. It's China. So they're gonna, they're, here they come in on the scene finally. We see China in Revelation. Don't, don't read Revelation that way, please, okay? And we're going to be careful when we start interpreting Revelation that way. The red, the red dragon clearly is Satan, by the way. And we know that because we're told later on. It's the devil. It's Satan. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk more about him uh, in, in a little bit. And actually, no, we'll talk about him right now. Let's go to verse 4. Verse 4 says this. Uh, his, his tail, uh, speaking of the dragon, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Now, a lot of scholars believe this is the moment where it's just describing the moment where Satan had deceived a bunch of angels and rallied them to follow him to try to overthrow God. Satan wanted to be more powerful than God. He wanted to rule God. He wanted to rule everybody. He thought that he could be more powerful than the one who made him and gave him life, which is just fascinating, right? It doesn't even make sense. How can you have more power than the one who created you? But he thought he could. And so a third of the stars, stars is often a reference to angels. And so this is very likely just a description of what had happened. He had a third of the angels that followed him and thought, let's try to overflow, overthrow God and the rest of the angels, but they couldn't. So then it says, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. So we see the the, the woman given birth here, about to give birth, and the dragon is, is right there, right, waiting for the birth of this child, to devour this child. What are we reading about here? What are we seeing? It's obviously, it's, it's the Christmas story. Just a little different version of the Christmas story than we're used to hearing, right? Like Matthew and Luke tell us a little different version of what's going on here. And it's, I think it's very appropriate to talk about women giving birth on Mother's Day. Isn't that, fun? Isn't that funny? We landed on this text right here, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Let's talk about the woman giving birth to a child and the beast right there wanting to devour the child, all right? This is just happy Mother's Day stuff. So this is the Christmas story, though, and this is a little different than the version we're used to. You know, Mary and Joseph, they can't find a place in Bethlehem. They're stressed out. They have to go to a barn. Jesus is born in a barn. They put him in a manger, but then everyone's happy, and the animals are there, and the shepherds come in, and it's just this fun, cool nativity scene, right? That's what we read about in Matthew and Luke. Revelation is a little bit different. Here's the woman giving birth to Jesus, and there's a beast or a dragon trying to devour the child. This is different. 
And I love what Eugene Peterson says. I, I came across this. This is great. He says this little verse here, this little description, it is John's spirit-appointed task to supplement the work of Matthew and Luke so that the nativity cannot be sentimentalized into coziness nor domesticated into worldliness. This is not the nativity story we grew up with, but it is the nativity story all the same. Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. It excites evil. Evil knows what this birth means for evil. So what we're seeing here is what's going on in the spiritual realm during the Christmas story. That's what I love about Revelation. We get like a glimpse into what's going on in the heavenlies, in that spiritual realm. All throughout Revelation, we're having moments like this. And we get it again here in chapter 12. And we see, hey, there is a battle going on in the spiritual realm. Don't underestimate the significance of what is happening even right now in the spiritual realm, because friends, it has direct impact on your life. That cosmic battle that is going on for your soul and against the kingdom of God and all that, it it impacts us more than I think we realize oftentimes. And so we're getting a a glimpse into the spiritual reality during the birth of Christ. You could kind of liken it to that moment in the Wizard of Oz, you know, where they go back behind the curtain, they find, oh, there's a wizard behind the curtain here. It's, it's kind of like one of those moments, like we get to peer behind the curtain and like, whoa, there's so much more going on than we actually realized. Because yes, we see the birth of this child and it's cute, this baby and all this Mary and Joseph and all this, but in the spiritual realm, the devil wants to devour this child. Did you catch that? So King Herod was who the devil used to try to kill Jesus. And if you're familiar with the story, King Herod, was a, he's like this man who's full of himself. Like he did not want anyone to usurp his power. He killed his family members so that they wouldn't become king and get more power. And so he hears that the Messiah has potentially been born in Bethlehem, just as was prophesied. And so what does he do? He has every male child, two and under, killed in the city of Bethlehem. Because he, he wants to make sure that no child king grows up to take over his position. Thankfully, God had warned Mary and Joseph to go to flee to Egypt. And so they, they were already in Egypt by the time this had taken place. But the devil tried to use King Herod to kill Jesus. So we see that's what was going on in the spiritual realm. The devil really, really wanted to do this. Now, verse 5 is what you could call an incredibly quick summary of Jesus' life. Here's how the New American says it. And she gave birth to a son, a male, who's going to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Did you catch that? Jesus was born and he's up in heaven. It's a very quick summary of Jesus's life. And when you look at that, how this sentence structure is, there's a semicolon right after the word iron. Do you see that? That semicolon, I think, is perhaps the most significant semicolon in all written history. That semicolon represents Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension up to heaven. All of that, all 33 years is represented by that one little semicolon right there. Jesus was born, semicolon, then he goes up into heaven with God. We'll, We'll talk more about the significance of what Jesus did, but that's a very, very significant semicolon there, right? Verse six, let's go into verse six. Uh, Then the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. So again, we see the number 1260. We saw that last week in chapter 12. 
it's three and a half years. So this is very likely a reference to the tribulation, half of the tribulation. So this woman, now representing the believers that are there in the tribulation, is going to have to flee for their lives, but God's going to protect them even during the tribulation. Verse 7, keep going on here. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Okay, so we see very clearly here, war in heaven breaks out, right? There's war going on. Michael and his angels, the devil and his angels, Satan loses. Satan has, up to this moment in time, if this is seemingly taking place during the tribulation. Satan has had some access to the heavenly places, but now he is kicked out of that. He loses that access. He's relegated to earth and he's upset. Like he is ticked off. You see that very clearly in, in verse 12. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell on them, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So again, this is likely right in the middle of this seven years of great tribulation at the end times. And so the devil, he knows, okay, I don't got much time left. This is it. Like he is so ticked off. He's losing power and influence and authority. And he's just angry about it. So this could really explain, guys, why things get really hard and really tough in the middle of the tribulation, okay? Because now the devil's like, he's ticked off, he's been defeated, and he's filled with rage now. Now, did you notice the devil is called that ancient serpent? Did you see that? That ancient serpent. That's another reference that the Lord wants us to know, that this is the same one who was there at the very, very beginning Back in Genesis chapter 3. Remember that serpent that came to Eve and tempted Eve and deceived Eve and caused all this sin and death and destruction and just brokenness to the world? Yeah, this is the same one. He's still doing his thing here in the end of times, as we see in Revelation, but it's the same one. It's the ancient serpent from Genesis chapter 3. Let's just read one verse, Genesis 3, uh, verse 1, to see this says this, now the serpent, there he is, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so he goes on to have this conversation with Eve. He's trying to throw out a little bit of truth and then twisting it to deceive Eve. Like, did God really say that? No, no, no. This is what he meant. You know, you, you're not going to die. He didn't really mean that. You're going to know more than what you know now. You're going to be like God. And so he's really, he's taking some truth and he's twisting it. He's deceiving her and she gives into it. But what she's deceiving him with is this. Hey, you got to understand that God's holding out on you. And that's why she gave in. And this is why the devil continues to do it today. He loves to convince us that God's holding out on us. You really want to live for God? Like believe in him? Like that's old fashioned. Like that's, there's no fun in that. There's no joy in that. Like the devil loves to deceive us into thinking that God is holding out on us. And if we live for him, then we're going to miss out on a good life. So don't listen to God because he doesn't want you to experience that. 
See, the devil takes a little bit of truth and he twists it to, to a lie. And then what happens is, is he fulfills his purpose for us, which is to steal, kill, and destroy, like rob us. And, and we end up missing out on all that God has for us. And, and God, the author of life who gave us life, he understands what will make us the most happy, what will make us the most satisfied, what will fill us with joy. He knows because he created us. But the devil twists it, deceives it. And God Eve to think, God's holding out on you. And he does the same to us. Why? Because it still works, right? <laughs> it's still working today. Like, this is his strategy, folks. We got to be smart and understand that his strategy and what he's trying to do. So remember, we're in a spiritual battle. Okay, we need a spiritual battle plan for the spiritual war that we are in. That's why it's important that we know who God is, that we know his, his word and that we use this as part of that, that battle plan. Otherwise, the devil's going to speak things to you. You're going to hear things that you're like, what? Whoa, wait, wait a second. And it can cause us to question God. Like, here's a new one right now. I just heard this last week. I hadn't heard this particular argument before, but I was checking out some new podcasts. I found this cool new Bible podcast. I listened to it for a little bit. But this lady was saying, there's a popular belief and notion out there that people are saying, why would you believe in Christianity? Why would you be a Christian? Because it's all about uh, a God, or it's all about uh, a father who kills his son. And so basically you have a, a, a father, what's, what's, what's the word? A, a father who's abusive and just wants to murder his own son. Like, why would you get into a religion like that? And when you think about it, that argument can cause a lot of people to think, yeah, why, why would I want to do that? That sounds kind of, that sounds odd. That sounds almost like cultish. Well, I don't want to be a part of a, a, of a cult. God is a father who's just abusive and doesn't care about his son. So he kills him. And so you hear things like that. And that can convince a lot of people like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't want anything to do with that. But you got to understand who God is and why Jesus went to the cross. You see, God is a heavenly father, a loving father who gave us life. He created us. Because he wanted a relationship with us. He wanted to be close to you. And we broke that. We sinned. Genesis 3, we just started reading that right there, right? Like sin entered the world and we've all sinned. We've all rebelled against God. Sin is what broke the world. It, it brought pain and death and disease and heartache and all of that stuff. That, all the stuff we hate about life, that's what sin brought. And we broke it. And we continue to do that with our sin but God wants relationship with us. He wanted to, to take care of that sin issue. Sin sentenced us to die. The devil lied because we will die an eternal death away from God, which God does not want. And so God, in the greatest act of love ever in human history, sent his son to take our place of death. We've got to understand the significance of the death of Jesus, friends. It is the greatest act of love ever in human history. And Jesus willingly went to the cross he wasn't forced there. He wasn't manipulated by an abusive father. He willingly went to the cross out of love for us so that we could have life, so that we could be in relationship with the one who gave us life. We've got to know this. We've got to understand this. We've got to be in truth so that the devil's deception doesn't get us, friends. Okay? So we're in a spiritual battle, and so we've got to be, uh, be able to fight this in a spiritual way. The devil's ultimate goal is just that you and I would not have a relationship with God. We don't believe in God. That's what he wants. 
And so he will lie, he will manipulate, he will twist the truth so that you do not experience the life that God has for you. And the reason that he'll do that is because you are the object of God's affection. God loves you so much, and the devil hates God, and he hates you because God loves you. And so he'll do whatever he can to keep you away from what God has for you. So all this is just a reminder, guys. Don't underestimate the power of what's going on in the spiritual realm around us. There is a spiritual battle that is affecting us right now. It's real. We're all a part of it. And this, this next verse, verse 10, shows us another characteristic of, of Satan. So we see him as the deceiver. He leads the whole world astray. He is also the accuser. So verse 10. I'm going to go back to Revelation here. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Amen. That's significant right there. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Satan, the devil, he is an accuser. That's not just what he does. That's who he is. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser. And he loves to like whisper lies to us, to deceive us, to get us to make decisions. It's okay to do that. It's not that bad. No one will ever know. Come on, you think God really cares about you? When you think anyone's ever going to love you? Hey, just one more time. He loves to deceive us, like to throw those things out there. It's not going to really hurt you. And he'll throw that out there. And then this is what he does on the other side of it. He comes back as the accuser to point out our wrongs and our failures. Oh, you think you're a good person? Look at what you just did. He deceives us, and then he accuses us. He just wants to put us down. He wants to fill you with shame. Look at all the mistakes you've made. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're not a good person. You're, you, you call yourself a Christian? Look, at the, there's no way God could ever forgive you. And he accuses, he accuses us. The problem is this. He's going to accuse you, friends, but the problem is when we agree with him. So we've got to be careful we don't agree with the accusations because there is power in agreement. This is the principle of agreement. The principle of agreement says this. What I agree with determines how I live. So what am I going to agree with? Am I going to agree with truth and what God says about me, what he's done for me? Or am I going to agree with the lies? What am I agreeing with? That determines how I live. So if I believe that Pepsi's better than Coke, <laughs> then I'm going to drink Pepsi, right? Because it is. It's better. Okay, don't believe the lies. Don't agree with the lies about Coke, okay? I want to make sure Louie didn't, didn't do something to me there. Okay, so that's just a simple, silly little illustration. Like, what we agree with, we're going to live out, right? So if I believe that how I rest is I just need to plop down on the couch and just turn on the television and just rest, then that's what I'm going to do. Or if this is how I need to rest. I'm going to go to the Word of God. I'm going to read the Word of God. I'm going to let Him speak to me. I'm going to turn on some worship music. I'm just going to enjoy the presence of God. I'm going to rest like that. Whatever I believe, whatever I agree with, is how I'm going to live. If I believe that I'm not good enough, that I'm not good enough to get that job or that position, if I agree that there's no way God could ever forgive me for all that I've done, that's going to affect how I live. Don't agree with the lies, friends. Do not believe the lies. We need to agree with what God says, okay? In order to experience what the life that God gives. Agree with what God says in order to experience the life that God gives. So don't agree with the devil. He just wants to overwhelm you. 
with all of your failures. He wants to shame you with the things of your past. He wants you to be filled with doubt and discouragement, even depression. That's what he wants to do. And so you and I got to stand up and cancel those lies. I don't want to believe it. I don't agree with it. Cancel. Hey, the only cancel culture you and I should be a part of is canceling the lies of the enemy, all right? Come on, stand up and cancel those things in your life. Don't agree with what he says about you. He's an accuser. He wants to destroy you. He wants to pull you away from God. And so it's important what we agree with. Agree with truth. And God has so much good to say about you. There's freedom for you. There's life for you. If you and I would only come into agreement with that. So we've got to agree with what God says in order to experience the life that God gives. And I pray that some people would experience that today, maybe for the first time. God's got such an incredible life for you. He's got so many amazing promises for you. If you just say yes to him and trust him. Okay, so verse 11, let's keep going on here. And let's look at one of the most famous verses in all of Revelation right here. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Very important truths for us, practices for us, if we're going to fight this battle spiritually. This is some key principles for our spiritual battle plan right here. The blood of the lamb, Jesus being the perfect lamb who went to the cross, shed his blood, meaning he died for you on the cross. And your testimony, what Jesus has done in your life. Those two things are what you need to walk in and experience and declare and to share if you're going to be an overcomer. So these words that we're reading here in Revelation 12 are showing us that there's a spiritual warfare going on. And it's possible for you and I to be overcomers. This isn't just about future believers. This is about today as well. I want you to be an overcomer. That's my encouragement. That's my exhortation for you today is that you would be an overcomer. How do you do that? Blood of the lamb. Word of your testimony. That's what it takes right there. So it's not about your past. It's not about your past failures. It's not about your past mistakes. It's not about what you have done. It's about what Jesus has done. And that's what I love about Christianity. It sets itself apart from any other religion. It's the whole do versus done thing, that whole tension. Like every religion in the world is like, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then you can achieve, you know, nirvana or, or karma, or you can achieve all this. You can achieve heaven. It's all about earning friends. You really go deep into all these. You got to do this, then do this, then do this. Then you can experience this. Christianity is all about Jesus has done it. He already done it for you. You just accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. You are forgiven. You are free for eternity. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. Your past makes no, doesn't matter. It's all about, he has done it for you. Just receive it. That's what I love about Christianity. There's a big difference between do versus done. Jesus paid it all for you. He is the lamb that shed his blood on the cross. And I pray that you would live out of the reality of the cross today and every single day. So how do you be an overcomer? We see these two things right here. I want you to be an overcomer. So how do you do that? By relying on what Jesus has done for you on the cross and by sharing and declaring your testimony. So today, I just pray that you would walk in God's grace, that you'd experience God's grace. I love what what Griffin shared in the middle of worship today, talking about grace was given to us to transform us, not to excuse us. But to tra- that was a good word right there in the middle of worship to, to transform us. Walk in the transforming power of God's grace every single day. It doesn't matter if you've messed up. 
Today, this week, God's grace is there for you today. Let the reality and the truth of the cross set you free again today and walk in that today. And a big part of how you and I do that is by sharing and declaring our testimony. Can I just say that sometimes the person you need to share your testimony with the most is yourself. Because you need to remind you of who you are because of what Jesus has already done. And so share and declare your testimony. We think sometimes that the word of their testimony is all, they, they publicly shared it with other people. No, I think oftentimes it's you and I declaring who we are in Christ and what he's done in us. Like he has set me free. And so the devil's going to come at you again. He's going to say, look at all the failures. Look at all the mistakes. Look at all that you've done. Like, no, 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 that's not me anymore. I've already been forgiven of that. I've already been set free from that. He's going to want you to make decisions and do this. No, that's not what I do anymore. That's not who I am anymore. I've been set free by Jesus. And so you've got to declare your testimony, your story, to remind you of who you are now because of Jesus, because of what he has done. And that helps you live out of that. And so come on, declare your testimony for yourself. Remind yourself who you are and what Jesus has done for you. That, that's, there's just so much freedom to that. There's so much encouragement to that. And then share it with other people. That's important. Share and declare your story with other people. Guys, there's power in your story. Man, there's power in how, how God has transformed your life. For those of you that have experienced that life transformation uh, in Jesus, and that's the greatest story we have to share. Because people can't argue with that. I mean, the gospel, God's story about how he came to rescue us is the greatest story, really. But how that story impacted our story, I mean, people can't argue with your story. Yeah. And so share your story. I'm a, I, I would say this. I, I think that a lot of Christians are weak and they're powerless because they have agreed with the accusations of the enemy. And they have forgotten who they are and they have not declared what Jesus has done in their life. That's why you got to do this every day. That's why you got to do this constantly. Because then you can walk in the power and the freedom of Jesus. Right? So your testimony has power for yourself and for other people. And I'm excited for what we're going to do this summer. We've got a summer series here for us that I think is going to be a lot of fun, a lot, very interesting, but it's going to have a profound impact for all of us. We're doing a series called Imperfect People perfect God. We'll start in a few weeks. And the whole premise of this is you're going to hear stories from different people. They're going to share about how God has transformed their life. Maybe it's their full story, their salvation experience, or maybe just a portion of their story, something that, that Jesus has delivered them from, an addiction or something like that. It could be any of those things. And we're just going to hear about God's transformative power. It'll be encouraging. It'll be fun. Um, but then uh, through the whole summer, all of us are going to do something. We're all going to write out our own story. We're going to get familiar with our own story. We're going to learn how to better articulate our own story of what Jesus has done in our life. And we're going to share that with people. I want to encourage you to write it out and send it in to us because we want to compile all of the transformation stories from our church. Put them all in one place. Wouldn't that be cool to read through all the stories of how Jesus has changed people's lives from everyone connected to Rivers Church? Like, that'd be a good read, wouldn't it? That'd be awesome. So you're going to turn it into us, but you're also going to share it. I look forward to what God's going to do in you and through you this summer. It's going to be the summer of sharing our story as we do this series called Imperfect People, Perfect God. And so this is one of the most important tools that you and I need to use 
in our spiritual battle plan. It's our testimony. Remember, we need a spiritual battle plan for the spiritual war that we're in. I want you to be an overcomer. And I hope you do too. So there's two things there, but there's also a third thing in that verse that we cannot forget. Sometimes this is overlooked. Number one, you want to be an overcomer? Relying on what Jesus has done on the cross. Number two, sharing and declaring your testimony. But number three, very important, love Jesus more than you love your life. Love Jesus more than you love life. Hey, if we're honest, <laughs> we love Jesus. Those of us that have encountered Jesus and, and, and he's just been real in our life, we love Jesus, but sometimes we love our life more than we love Jesus, if we're honest. So here's a question for you to wrestle with. Even right now, do I love Jesus more than life itself? Do I love Jesus more than life itself? That's a very important question for us to really wrestle with. Because when you love Jesus more than life, you don't fear death. You're not afraid. Now, it's not easy to live this way. Let's be real. But it's possible. And we got to remember who Jesus is. Like, he holds the key to our eternal life. He's the one who gave us life. Like, we exist because he gave us life. And then our relationship with him was broken because of sin, but he laid down his life for us so that we could find life in him. And so the response, the call is, Jesus says, hey, just give your life back to me and I promise to give you life by giving your life to me. I'm putting your trust in me and living for me. He, this is how he said it in his words, recorded in Luke 9, verse 24. He said this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for me will save it. So you lose your life for Jesus and you'll find life, true life, eternal life, abundant life in him forever. But it happens by you and I just saying, okay, I believe what you did for me, Jesus. I lay my life down for you. I'm going to live for you now. Can I just be honest for a few moments, church. I think that if we, if we love our lives more than we love death, if we love our lives more than we love Jesus, then we're not going to make a difference in this city for Jesus. It's not going to happen because we're more into us. And I love this. I love my comfort. I love my, 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 my financial situation. I love my, my kids, my family. I love my spouse more than I love uh, Jesus, and we're just going to, Jesus is just going to be a supplement to our life, but not really the Lord and Savior of our life. And I pray that you and I would love Jesus more than we love life and not just be willing to live for him, but are you willing to die for him? And most of us don't have to worry about that, but there are brothers and sisters that we can learn from all across the globe that are facing that daily. They don't know if they're going to make it today. But they're willing to lay down their life. They, they are willing to really live out this scripture here and, and give their life for Jesus. You know, they say the fastest growing church in the world right now is the Iranian church. I've talked about it a few times. I'm just fascinated by this, this movement, this revival that's going on in Iran, which you would never hear about except for some of the believers that are leaving the country and telling people what's going on through interviews. The fastest growing church in the world is taking place in one of the most persecuted countries in the world. 
And I think that the church is growing not in spite of persecution, but probably because of persecution. Like when they say yes to Jesus, like it means something. It doesn't mean like, oh, I got to go to church every Sunday. I got to put this into my life. Like God wants to give me 10% of my income to him. Like what on earth, God? No, like they're like, I may not live today by saying yes for Jesus, but I'm in because of what he's done for me. There's these two, this married couple that moved to the States from Iran just a couple years ago. And after a few months, the wife said something very interesting to the husband. She said, I want to go back. I can't live here anymore. And he's like, what? Like, you want to leave religious freedom to go back to persecution? Like, why would, like, doesn't even make sense. And she's like, I can't live here. I can't live like this. I can't take it. And here's her words. This is what she said. She says, there is a satanic lullaby here. And all the Christians are sleepy. And I'm feeling sleepy. She's like, yeah, we face death and persecution, but the church is alive where I came from. And those are sobering words for us, guys. I pray that we would be a church that's alive. That we're willing not just to live for Jesus, but lay down our life for Jesus. Step out of our comfort zone. Do whatever it takes for the cause of Christ. Let's not allow the devil to, to lull us to sleep. Let's not listen to his little lullaby. That's what he loves to do. If he can't take us away from God, he wants us to be ineffective and unproductive. And so don't listen to Satan's lullaby. That's him being deceptive in the church. And so I pray that we'd be an awakened church. It reminds me of Revelation 3. We talked about that last fall in season one. But Jesus says to the church in Sardis, Revelation 3, he's like, you're falling asleep. And he says, wake up. Wake up. Don't sleep now. And I think it's the same message for us in light of what we're looking at here today. Hey, guys, there's a battle going on. It's real. There's a war going on in the city. Are you want to fight in it or you just want to sleep through it? You might make it to heaven. Awesome. But if you want to be a part of the battle, come on, wake up. Put your battle pants on. Put your armor on. Uh, hey, walk in the grace of Jesus every single day. Share and declare your testimony and love Jesus more than you love your life. It's going to cost you your life, but if you want to make a difference, that's what it's going to take. You can just sleep through this and you might be fine in the end, or you might not be. Your choice. I pray that we'd be an awakened church. That's my prayer for us, guys. Oh, there's a spiritual realm all around us. It is real, friends. It is so, it is, uh, eternity hinges on how we fight in the heavenlies. We need to be active and alive. Let's, let's have a spiritual battle plan. Because most Christians don't have a plan. Let's have a spiritual battle plan. And what does it look like? It looks like relying on what Jesus has done on the cross. Share and declare your testimony. Love Jesus more than you love your life. And can I add just a practical thing here? Just a simple practical thing, like join a spring group. Get in with some people that can encourage you throughout the week that you can just continue to live this thing out. Uh, Sunday church attendance is not enough for the battle we're in. This is good. We need this. But this is not enough for this battle, friends. It is very real. And I want you to be an overcomer. I want you to be an overcomer. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for us. Hey, join us here Wednesday night for Encounter Night. We're going to do Battle in the Heavenlies Wednesday night right here. You want to join us? Come on, let's, let's, let's do it. Um, but that's my encouragement to you guys. It's another kind of get in the game, but it's like get in the battle. Let's be alive and active. Let's be awake. Would you stand to your feet?
Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.